Our speaker this evening is Brother Roger Wilmore. He's no stranger to us here as a church family, and it is our privilege to have him come this evening to bring the Word of God to us, and we ask the Lord to use him in a special way. Thank you, Brother Legrand. Good evening, everyone. It's really a joy to be here. Brother Legrand underestimates the uh, impact of that accident on Saturday. It was, he says, minor. I think it was more than minor. It was more like major. And that's the reason I'm here tonight. I started texting right away as soon as I got word through the Baptist grapevine. Aren't you thankful for the Baptist grapevine? I mean, the information just gets out there. And I got word about the grand being in an accident, and I sent a couple of texts to try to find out. I learned a long time ago, don't just pick up the phone and start calling and say, well, you know, uh, how's LeGrand? Here he was in an accident, and mom and dad haven't even heard yet, or wife hasn't heard yet. So I kind of go through the back door to get to that. Next thing I know, I'm receiving a call from him to ask me to be here tonight to help out a bit, and I'm happy to be here. The last uh, few weeks, I've had some Sunday opportunities to be out preaching and on the road, and, and I tune in to the radio station and listen to your uh, Sunday school class, Brother Lamb has that 10 o'clock class and the 11 o'clock worship that comes on after noon, I hear it afternoon, and then the evening service. So a couple of Sundays I've heard all three of the services, the Sunday school, the morning uh, uh, worship service, and the evening service. And I've been impressed with every aspect. I love to hear Brother Chris preach, but the music, I tell you, the music just grabs me and I, I listen I think these these are all professional voices I mean such powerful voices and such gifted voices and I I think what a what a blessing the church has to have so much talent brother Grant I think I even heard your voice singing one Sunday in a quartet or a trio or something was it you <laughs> I invite you to turn in your Bible to James chapter 5, and I want to bring a message from these verses 13 through 18, and I'll title it, uh, Who Can Pray? We're going to be talking about prayer that gets through, but uh, I want to just talk for a few moments based on the words of this passage, Who Can Pray? Most of you, many of you know that I studied and was mentored by, under Dr. Oford and mentored by Dr. Stephen Oford, who taught expository preaching. And he would always say to his students, there's more than one sermon in a text, but you can't preach more than one sermon at a time. So just preach one at a time. So I want to say before we read these verses, there's more than one sermon in this text. And I'm going to focus in on a small portion of it uh, in the scheme of things, asking the question, who can pray? But you'll see that when we read and as I speak. But let's start reading in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer 
of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. A powerful passage of prayer. James, writing, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing on this uh, subject of prayer. You probably know that tradition tells us that James was dubbed camel knees because it was observed that his knees had thick calluses. And he was a man whose very physical body indicated that he spent much time in prayer. I find it intriguing in reading these verses just to count the number of times prayer is referred to. We have just read together uh, six verses. And in six verses, James mentions prayer seven times. You will see it once in each of the verses, with the exception of verse 16, where it is mentioned twice. So there's a strong emphasis on prayer. If I were to ask you tonight to consider uh, what you consider to be the most important need in the life of the church today, what would you say? And I know the answers would be varied. I mean, we would all probably come at it a little differently from our own perspective. What is the greatest need in the church today? But I think most of us would have to agree that there's a need for us to return to real prevailing prayer. Wesley Duell, a man who spent 24 years in India a man of mighty prayer. He's written a number of books. If, you've ever re- if you haven't read Wesley Duell, the last name is D-U-E-W-E-L-L. And he's a wonderful writer. But he's written, one of his books is entitled Mighty Prevailing Prayer. And in it he says, The greatest need of God today is for men and women who know how to prevail in prayer. Mighty intercessors, tireless prevailers, people who will persevere in prayer and, and uh, in battle and in prayer conquest until heaven's powers are released and God, God's will is done in the practical situations on the earth. He goes on to say, God's cause creeps forward timidly and slowly when there are more, organi- more organizers than agonizers more workers than prevailers, and more of, uh, workers than those who have seen the heart of God and who have experienced the power and the glory of the cross, who know the Bible meaning and significance of the day of judgment and of heaven and of hell. I like what he says here. More, we have more organizers than agonizers, more workers than prevailers. We have a need to return to prayer. Andrew Murray said, where we, where we work more than we pray, the presence and the power of God are not seen in our work as we would wish. Now, we're Baptist folk here tonight, and we know a little bit about uh, the pace of church life and Baptist church life. And one of the dangers that I think we need to be cautious about It's just exactly what Wesley Duell was saying and what Andrew Murray was referring to, 
that we get caught up in the work of God to the point that we have a breakdown in our communion with God and in our prayer life. Would you agree with me that the church moves forward on her knees and in prayer? And yet sometimes we can find that our work substitutes, becomes a substitute. Uh, there's a Scottish preacher whom I love very, very much. He's an older man now. His name is uh, Eric Alexander, a wonderful expositor of the Word of God. But he made, he's made so many statements that are kind of etched in my heart and in my memory. But I remember this one in, in the context of the subject tonight. He said, um, service to God is never a substitute for knowing God. Service to God is never a substitute for knowing God. And I would say that that applies to my life and it may apply to your life in that sometimes we can, we can get so busy in our doing the things of God and serving uh, the Lord that we fail to maintain the right communion with him. Just another quotation before we start opening up the text. Um, a book entitled Living God's Way by F.E. Mars. And this is another old writer. And those are generally the ones I lean on the most. F.E. Mars, Living God's Way. He says, prayer is the sin killer. No one can sin and pray for prayer will either make us cease from sin or sin will make us cease from prayer. Prayer is the sin killer. Then he goes on in the same paragraph to say, and prayer is the power bringer. It is the hand which touches the hem of the garment. It is the hand which touches the hem of the garment of divine grace and causes the life which is the, uh, in the divine one to flow to us. Power, sin, prayer is the power bringer. He goes on to say, Prayer is the holiness promoter. It is like a gentle dew that falls upon the thirsty plants and causes them to be refreshed. Prayer is the holiness promoter. Prayer is the dispute adjuster. Let two brethren who are at loggerheads get on their knees together and ask the Lord about any disputed matter, and they will find the Lord saying to their troubled spirits, Peace be still. Prayer is the dispute adjuster. He goes on to say prayer is the obstacle remover. Peter found that prevailing, the prevailing prayer of the saints delivered him from the prison of Herod's hate. And lastly, F.E. Marsh says that prayer is the Christ revealer. It clarifies our vision and enables us to see the unseen. So this brings me to my question tonight, who can pray? Um, I don't know if you struggle with some of the same things I struggle with in my Christian pilgrimage, but I, I can have a tendency to think at times that, that there are certain people that have greater access to God than others and some who are heard by him more than others and some who have a higher privilege of prayer than others. We, we affix to some the super saint status and we think they have a 
greater access to God than maybe we do or than others do. But we know in our heart of hearts that's not true. As children of God, we all have equal access to him. We can go to him at any moment of any day, any time, any circumstance, any place, and engage him in pray, prayer. There are some questions that I want to ask. The central one is the central one, who can pray? But I want to, from this text, show us tonight that it answers more than just that question because it talks about, first of all, how to pray, and then it closes with what happens when we pray. And sandwiched in the middle of those two questions is the question for tonight, who can pray? But James in these six verses describes how to pray, and then he talks about who can pray, and then he gives the results of the prayer of the person who can pray. So let's look at verse 16 and see that first question, and these are to support the central question tonight, but the first question is how to pray. Look at verse 16. He says, uh, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, there are, there are two words in, the, in this verse that I'm going to lift up and talk about just for a moment. But I want to say that the first word does not come from this verse, but it comes from the verse, the passage in its entirety. Because... How to pray, and the first characteristic of how to pray that I would share with you tonight is to pray frequently. Frequently. You say, well, where is that in the text? Well, prayer is mentioned seven times in six verses. Now, that's pretty frequent, isn't it? There's, there's, a, there's an emphasis on the, the frequency of our prayer. And, uh, you know, the Word of God tells us that we're to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, what does it say? It's, a, it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Now, right above that, and the verse just above that, verse 15, is the, uh, the, the, the verse that says rejoice always. But the word frequently, I would write that down under the question, how, how should we pray? We should pray frequently. And James, I think, is, is giving this message, indicating this message to us that our prayer should be frequent by the very frequency of the mention of prayer in this passage. Pray without ceasing. In other words, uh, just keep praying. Don't let your prayers be random. Don't let your praying be spasmodic, uh, just a whenever kind of praying. But let it be regular praying and frequent praying. But the next word, the next word, the next answer to the question how to pray is right here in this verse 16. The effective, the effective or the effectual prayer. Now this word here carries the idea of energy, of energy. It is talking about energy expended, the effectual prayer, the effectual prayer. Um, I remember Stephen Oford uh, speaking along these lines to a group of pastors one time telling us, teaching how to pray and teaching on the subject of prayer. And he says, when we look at this word effectual, really what James is saying is let there be praying in your praying. Let there be praying in your praying. In other words, don't just be saying words. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you for a public confession or a show of hands, but let's just ask ourselves uh, for a moment, how many times have you, I'll ask myself, how many times have I found myself praying and become conscious of the fact that I was just saying words, that I really wasn't engaged in praying? I was saying the words of a prayer, I was saying a prayer, but was I really praying? And when James writes this word effective or effectual, to have effective praying, effectual praying, there has to be praying in the prayer. There has to be a connection. It has to be more than just saying words. I think you understand that and see that point. You say, is there a biblical illustration of this? And I, I think there's numerous illustrations of this. One that I would call to your attention is um, the story of the friend at midnight in Luke chapter 11. You remember this man went to a friend. He had, he had unexpected guests in the middle of the night. and He had nothing to feed them. And he went to his neighbor to ask for some bread. And the neighbor wouldn't get up. And the man kept knocking. And, the, and the, the neighbor inside was wanting to send him away. He says, we've already gone to bed. And in the Eastern culture that day, they slept on mats on the floor. And everybody had already laid out on the floor. And it was bedtime. And people were asleep. And the man was saying, listen, we're down for the night. You're asking me to get up and tiptoe through everybody that's already asleep and get something for you? No, go away. But what happened? The man kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking. There was effectiveness. He was an effectual prayer because it got results. There was praying in his prayer. The effective or the effectual. And then the word fervent. This word fervent carries the idea of, a, of strain. It really carries the idea of hot to the boiling point. It's not just a cool prayer. It's a, it, it's a hot prayer. I mean, it, there, there's, there, there's, there's, there's energy, in that, and the word energy is applied to effectual as well, but there's an energy being expended here. The, the temperature of this, of this prayer is rising. It becomes... It is a fervent prayer. And the, and the idea behind this word really is hot to the boiling point. Now, there's another word that I, I'm, I'm, we're talking about how to pray, and we talked about frequently and effectually or effectively and fervently. But there's another word that I would like for you to put on this list that doesn't just leap out at you, but it's here. It, it, is, it is implied. It is implicit. It is here. And it is the word focused the word frequent is also implicit because you have to you, you kind of see it from the repetition of the word prayer in the text and the, the word effectual is here the word fervent is here but i'm adding the word focused in how to pray because when we read the illustration that james gave regarding how to pray he reminds us that elijah prayed for specific purposes his prayer was focused. He, pray, he asked for specific things. He did not ask amiss. He had a target. He had an aim. He had a specific request that it would not rain. It did not rain. For it to rain, and it did rain. For the fire to fall, and the fire fell. There were specific... It was focused praying. And I, I think, I know in my own life, I have to remind myself sometimes to be focused in my praying. Don't just, 
use a scattergun approach and go all over the place and at the at the end of the the season of prayer, the time of prayer, not even really be conscious of 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 what I've said. The gamut has been so broad and so general that if God answered, I'd have to scratch my head and say, can I really remember what I asked for? Be focused. So here we are. The first, the first question that emerges in my mind here as we examine this text is how to pray. And James tells us, pray frequently and pray effectually and pray fervently and pray focused. Have focused, have an aim in your pr- praying. But then we come to the second question, and the second question is really the question that is on my heart tonight. Who can pray? And I love what James has done here because you know, you, you're, you're Bible people, and I know that quite well, and you know this text. It is, it is, one, of the most, it, it is one of the most incredible passages of Scripture in the New Testament on this subject of prayer. And it, it's, it talks about praying for the sick people, talk about praying of, for healing, and they're talking about the prayer of faith. I mean, talk about the prayer of forgiveness here. I mean, it is the, the emphasis in the passage is no doubt an emphasis on prayer. And I'm glad James reminds us of who can pray. And you say, well, what, where does it say who can pray? Well, it's, it's, it's right here. It's wonderful. He, he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, who can pray? James answers it straight away, a righteous man. A righteous man, a man who, who is right with God, a woman who is right with God. Psalm 24 in the verses 3 and 4 says, Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. A righteous man. I'm going to say more about this in a few moments. Psalm 66 Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I wonder, have you ever wondered why your prayers weren't answered? I think this is a question we all ask. You know, why, is God hearing me? Is he answering me? What's wrong? Can I pray? Am I a person who can pray? Can I fall into the answer of that prayer? Am I a righteous man? Are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? Who can pray? James says straight away. This is not all he says. This is only the first part of the answer. And the second part of the answer actually amplifies the first part of the answer to me when we get to it in just a moment. But he begins by saying, a righteous man who can pray. Oswald Sanders, in his book, Prayer Power Unlimited, has a chapter entitled Post-Mortem on Unanswered Prayers. I like that term, post-mortem. You all know what a post-mortem is, don't you? A post-mortem on unanswered prayers. And uh, I'm going to give you just about six or seven bullet points. He gives a paragraph to each of these But he analyzes the cause, the causes of unanswered prayers. Now, this goes back to our question, who can pray? Because you see, a person can be praying, 
like we were saying earlier, they may be saying words, but they're not praying. And then they wonder, why are my prayers not being answered? And there's more than one answer to that question. And we would be here for a while tonight if we tried to answer that question in its fullest extent in one session. But let me give you some general ideas using the words of Oswald Sanders. And I need to go quickly with these points. Perhaps our faith has been resting on a wrong basis. In other words, is it possible that our faith has been in prayer and not in Christ? Now, don't let that one slip by you because that's an easy trap for us to fall into. That we find ourselves exercising more faith in our praying than we do in the one to whom we're praying. Secondly, he said, there may be in our hearts a secret sympathy with sin. And he goes back to that Psalm 66 and verse 18. If, I, if there's sin in my heart, if I'm hiding sin in my heart, God cannot hear me. Uh, who can pray? James answered it. A righteous man. It doesn't say that he's perfect. doesn't say that he's sinless. But it does say that he's not in an, in an habitual state of sin, deliberately, willfully sinning against a holy God. God says, if that's the case, I can't hear you. Number three says, perhaps the motive behind our prayers is not pure. And he quotes James again from chapter 4 and verse 3. We ask amiss, we ask with a wrong motive. But another reason prayers may not be answered, instead of having confidence in approaching God, we may be being held back by a condemning heart. Now, there's a difference in being able to walk into the room as a child would walk into the room of his earthly father crawl up on his knee and say, Abba, Father. I mean, that, that's the relationship God wants us to have with him, that we actually could just walk in as a, a child walks up to his father and, and engages him in conversation. And when, when the Word of God talks about having confidence in prayer and entering the throne of God boldly, it's talking about somebody that has a relationship that gives him the right to do that. But sometimes we don't have that confidence because of things in our lives. He, sa- he goes on to say, we may be entertaining bitter or un- un- a bitter or unforgiving spirit. In Mark chapter 11, you remember the Lord said, if you come before me to offer worship to me and you find that uh, a brother ha- has ought in his heart against you, then you need to go and uh, make peace with him, put things right. How many of our prayers are in? interrupted tonight because of broken relationships. Now, this, the next one is one that uh, I remember years ago when I heard a preacher preaching on this. It registered strongly with me. It's from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. And Oswald Sanders reminds us that this is a passage that says, perhaps he says, perhaps not all is right in the marital relationship. Now, time, I don't have time to go to this tonight because I'm already pushing my time a bit, but I'm going to ask you, especially men, to make a note of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, because Peter makes it abundantly clear in that passage that if a husband is not in right relationship with his wife, God cannot hear his prayers. That's in 1 Peter 3. 
Sanders goes on to say, Our prayers are sometimes an outlet or expression of unbelief and despair rather than an outpouring of faith. And lastly, he reminds us that we should never forget that there's always satanic resistance to our prayers. Satan is always, always engaged in an effort to prevent the answers from our prayers even reaching the ear of God. This is what we call spiritual warfare. And any time we're on our knees in the presence of a holy God, we can be sure that this is happening. But James changes the tone just a bit here when he moves to verse 17. Because he talks in the, at the end of verse 16, who can pray a righteous man? But then he moves right on to picking up a, a wonderful illustration. He pulls from the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, the character of Elijah. And he brings Elijah forward from Old Testament to New Testament. And, and everything he's been talking about, who can pray? Who can pray fervently? Who can pray effectively? Who can have prevailing prayer? Who can get answers to prayer? A righteous man. Who is a righteous man? Elijah. Elijah. Let's look at Elijah. This is what James is saying. You want to see a man who can get his prayers answered? Look at Elijah. Here's a man who said, hold back the rain, close up the skies, and it happened. Send the rain, and it happened. You have to read the full story to have the deepest appreciation for that. Calling down fire to consume a sacrifice, but not only to consume a a sacrifice, but to consume a waterlogged sacrifice. I mean, here is a man who had prevailing, fervent, effectual prayer and praying. But the encouraging part is this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Uh, You ask me who can pray. Let's ask James who can pray. Let's ask the Lord who can pray. And the sacred scriptures tell us that an ordinary person That's what it's saying. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was not superman. He was not super saint. He was not extra celestial. He was not one of a kind. He was not in a category by himself. He was an ordinary man. I don't want to insult anyone here tonight, but I want to say that all of us, at least in my opinion, my humble opinion, we're all ordinary people. We're just ordinary people. You say, I don't want to be ordinary. God says, I hear the prayers of an ordinary man, an ordinary woman. You say, what's your point? My point is that let's stop trying to be something we're not in order to achieve something we can't and just be who we are that he through us can accomplish the supernatural through the ordinary. An ordinary man. But he wasn't only ordinary. There was something married to his ordinariness. That's a word. His, uh, this ordinary man, there was a characteristic of the ordinary man that gave him the ability to pray as he prayed and to achieve what he achieved in his praying. And it was that he was obedient to the word of God. An ordinary person obedient to the word of God, can see great results in their lives and their prayers. When you read 1 Kings 17 and going into 1 Kings 18, 
you find the word of the Lord coming to Elijah. That's how it says it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And God gave a word of instruction. And then the next thing we read, and Elijah was doing what God told him to do immediately. Some time passes. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. The Lord spoke to Elijah. Next thing we see is Elijah's doing what the Lord told him to do. Third time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And Elijah obeyed. Now, here's an ordinary man. We know he was ordinary because he was on the mountaintop one moment and hiding in a cave the next. I mean, he was, he was as bold as a lion facing the Baal prophets. And yet he ran like a whipped puppy when Jezebel said, you know, this time tomorrow you'll be just like those people, dead as a doornail. And he runs like a whipped puppy. He was an ordinary man. But because he was an obedient man, God put his power upon him, used him, and answered his prayers. And let's say now, what's the outcome? What happens? And that's the last thing, and I'm finished when I say this. Because it says, Elijah, well, actually we go back to verse 16 to get the the last question. What happens? Who can pray? Or how do we pray? We looked at that. Who can pray? We looked at that. What happens when this kind of person prays? And it just to underline in verse 16, it avails much. It avails much. It avails much. There's results to the ordinary person, obedient to God, engaging him in frequent, fervent, effectual, focused praying. It avails much. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. It availed much. Amen? Who can pray? You can pray. Ordinary people, just regular people who are willing to come to align their lives with the word of God and submit themselves to him in absolute obedience. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these few moments tonight to be in your word. And I pray something has been said to encourage the saints of God in this matter of prayer. Thank you for the privilege which has been mine to be in this place once again and to share with this wonderful congregation. Thank you for your word that speaks so powerfully and personally and pointedly to our lives. Give us the strength to obey what we have read and heard tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.